is this is this working? I, my, apparently, my head is too fat for our normal microphone. Um, so, <laughs> um, good morning, morning to those on Zoom. Um, so, hopefully, you all know that we are in a series looking at uh, Paul's letter to the church in. Ephesus, and we're picking up at the start of uh, Ephesians 4, if you want to grab a Bible and turn, turn there. Just for a little bit of context, um, Paul has spent the first half of his letter, chapters 1 to 3, kind of talking about what's true of the Ephesians and of us in Christ Jesus. So, you know, he said that in Christ we're blessed with every spiritual blessing, that in Christ we're seated in heavenly places, that in Christ we are united, we're made one. Um, and then Al, last week, he preached through um, Paul's letter, uh, Paul's prayer right at the end of chapter 3, which is kind of like a hinge point in the letter. And so the next half of the letter are chapters 4 to 6. Paul is going to, he starts by saying, therefore, he's gonna, therefore, in light of everything I've just spent the first half of this letter saying, this now is how you should live. So he's going to talk to us about how we love and build one another up in the church. He's going to talk to us about how we conduct ourselves in in daily life, about how we relate as parents and children and husbands and wives, and about how we stand against the schemes of the devil. So chapters 1 to 3, all of this is true of you in Christ Jesus. Chapters 4 to 6, so now you should live like this. That's where we are. So Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in to live, to conduct your life in a manner worthy or of equal weight to the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. So one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, just as we heard Graham reading this morning, he's omnipotent, he is all-powerful, all-knowing, he's the king of the universe, but he's also through all and in all. He's imminent, he's close, not distant, he is present to us. He is over all and through all and in all. Amen. So, Boris Johnson, which is probably not the first words you'd expect out of my mouth, um, but love him, hate him, um, think he's a bit of a clown. Um, we have heard a lot about Boris Johnson, read, seen a lot. If you are in any way keeping up to date with the news or on social media, we have heard a lot about him, about whether, you know, about work events slash booze ups, about birthday cakes, about um, whether he's lied to Parliament or not, and whether he's followed his own rules, all that kind of stuff. We've heard a lot about him. Now, I don't think particularly talking politics at a preach is a, is a great idea, so I'm not going to tell you what I think of him or <laughs> who I'd vote for, if anyone. Um, but we've heard a lot about Boris over the last few weeks. And whether you're sat here kind of feeling angry about it, feeling outraged, feeling like he should lose his job, or whether you're kind of indifferent... Um, you think it's all been blown out of proportion or there's more important things. Whatever you think, I think the reality is that lots of the language that's been used over this last, these last few weeks is, is quite interesting, right? especially, admittedly, from the Labour Party. Lots of the language, we've, I mean, if I hear this phrase one more time, 
do the decent thing and resign, right? Do the decent thing. We've heard that a lot, which seems to imply to me that there's a decent way to be a prime minister and an indecent way, that there's a way to be a prime minister, to live as a prime minister that is worthy of the job and that is not worthy of the job. And that's kind of what Paul is telling us right here at the start of Ephesians 4. He's pretty much saying, you know, you, you've been called, whatever the calling is, you've been called, do the decent thing and walk in a manner worthy, yeah? So that's Paul's instruction to us, to do the decent thing, to walk in a way that's worthy of the calling. But before we can follow his instruction, before we can listen to what Paul was telling us to do, we kind of have to ask a few questions, I think. Uh, three questions in particular. We have to ask, what, what, what is the calling to which we've been called? What is that? Uh, how? Um, how do we do it in a manner worthy? And then three, in what context do we do it in? So how, what, in what context? And as I said, the first question, at least for me, is what's the calling to which you've been called? And right off the bat, I think it's worth saying that whenever the Bible talks about calling, very rarely, if ever, is it talking about an individual call on your life. So I know I've just used the example of Boris, um, but Paul isn't saying, you've been called to be the prime minister, so you should live in a way that's worthy of that. Or, or you've been called to lead worship, make sure you practice your keyboard at home. Or you've been called to business, make sure you, I don't know, take some management courses or something. Clearly, <laughs> clearly I'm not called to business. Um, but that's not what he's saying. Okay, That's very rarely, if ever, is the Bible, when it talks about calling, thinking of that. So it must mean that it's thinking of something, a calling that's equally true for every believer, for every follower of Jesus, for all of us, not just for individual ones. So question for you, shout out, bit of audience participation. What's the, what's the calling that every Christian has been called to? You have to get, you're going to have to shout loud. Go on, Michael. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Cool. Anybody else? Yeah. Be like Christ. There we go. It's a, yeah. Yeah. Great. So it's, it's not a trick question. Um, maybe some of us would think of the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Um, right? Maybe, maybe some of us would think of that, right? Make disciples and teach them to observe everything. So maybe you could phrase it like, make disciples, be disciples. Um, I really like the way that uh, the Westminster Catechism um, talks about this. Um, a catechism, I realize, is slightly unfamiliar language in our church tradition, but it's pretty much just a series of questions and answers that throughout church history has been used to, uh, to teach children about the faith, to instruct new believers, to you know, as part of preparation for baptism, etc. Um, but the first question of the, of the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? You might have heard that phrase before. What's the chief end of man? What's our reason for existence? What's our calling? And its answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I quite like that. But I think the easiest and most simplest phrase for us to remember to understand what our calling is, comes from the words of Jesus at the start of his ministry, not at the end. So let's jump to Matthew 4, and we'll pick up in verse 18. 
So while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Right, that's very literally the call of Jesus to his disciples, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. I think Luke's account says immediately they left everything and followed him. So that is, in two words, two words of Jesus used, that's very literally the call of Jesus to his disciples is to follow him. So if that's the answer to the what, what's the calling, we can now look at the how. How, how do we do it in a, in a manner that's worthy of his call to follow him? And Colin, if you were here a few weeks ago, he uh, talked about uh, this kind of journey that we're wanting to go on as a church in, in rediscovering what it means to follow Jesus, to be his disciples, to apprentice under him. Right. So if, yep, he is our Lord, our God, our Saviour, as he's been singing about this morning, but he's also our teacher, our rabbi. So what does it mean for us to follow him, to apprentice under him, to be his disciple? Um, and as we've been talking, uh, we found three phrases, which I, I think are quite helpful. They're not original to us, um, but three phrases which I think are quite helpful in explaining what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So if, uh, I look at Matthew 4, verse 19 again, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And we'll just walk through it, through the three phrases. So the first one is be with Jesus, right? Jesus says, follow me. Be with me. No agenda, no other reason other than to be with me, right? Be with me for the sake of it. Be with me when you're at work, when you're doing the washing up, when your kids are getting on your nerves. Be with Jesus. The second one, become like Jesus. He says, I will make you. You're going to become something different than what you were before. You're going to grow in Christ-likeness. You're going to adopt his lifestyle. So be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and then do what he did. He says, I'll make you fishers of men. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, set the oppressed free, do what Jesus did. So that's the three. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what he did. But let's jump back to Ephesians 4, and let's just see if Paul is actually saying the same thing, and I'm not just preaching what I want to preach. Um, so Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness. So let's stop there first, with all humility and gentleness. That word for humility could also be translated as lowliness. And some of us might recognize that language. Those two words have been used together somewhere else in the Bible, gentle and lowly. Um, some of us might have even read a very good book with the same title. But Matthew 11, Jesus um, talks, he's talking to, um, I don't even know who, to his disciples, to the people gathered around him. And starting in verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So gentle and lowly is how Jesus describes himself. That's, that's the two words he uses to describe himself. And it's what Paul is doing right here. He's describing Jesus. So live in a manner worthy, how? By being like Jesus, and this is the description of him. 
So let's continue with all humility or lowliness and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So again, stop there for a minute. There's a few words grouped together, similarly, that we find somewhere else in the New Testament. Love, peace, patience, gentleness. Anybody picking up where I'm going? So Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right, Paul has already written, he's already written the letter to the church in Galatia when he's writing this. He's got those fruits of the Spirit in mind as he's writing this. We don't get the whole list, no, but very clearly that's what he's got in mind. Who exemplified all of those fruits of the Spirit? Who lived them out perfectly? Kids Club answer, Jesus, there we go. Paul is describing again Jesus in these verses. He's saying, Jesus has called you to follow him. How? How do you do it? In a way that's worthy of that calling? Well, you look like Jesus. You become like Jesus. So that's the, that's the how. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what he did. And then we can get to the question of in what context. In what context are we supposed to do all of this in? And the answer to this is, is pretty key for Paul as he's writing. This is pretty key, in fact, for us here at Gateway in this journey that we're wanting to, to go on. In fact, it's so key for Paul that he's already talked about it back in chapter 2. He says, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. How are we, what context are we supposed to do this all in? In the context of community. We work out what it means to live a life that's worthy of Jesus' call to follow him in the context of community. Why? Well, Paul's already told us in chapter 2 that, we are, that we're already united, that we've been made one in Christ. And here again, in verses 4 to 6, he's just reminding of us, us of that. He's using the same word over and over again. One, 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 one body, one spirit, one Lord, one hope, one faith, one baptism. He's reminding us that we are already one. And I realize I'm, I am slightly skipping over those few verses. Um, if I was somebody like John Piper, I'd be spending weeks, I think, looking at just, <laughs> just those. But I'm not John Piper, and he has actually already spent weeks looking at them. So go and listen to him. Um, but we do all of this in the context of community. But community itself takes work. Doesn't it? it doesn't come for free. It's hard work sometimes. And the language that Paul uses is quite interesting, I think. So he says, eager to maintain. He doesn't say eager to create unity, because he's already told us that we are one, that we are united. But just as equally, he doesn't say eager to preserve unity. So think of preserving meat. You cure it often, or you smoke it. I mean, actually, most days we now just chuck it in the freezer. Um, but historically or traditionally, you cure meat or you smoke it to preserve it. Um, and I'm fairly reliably informed by some slightly weird survivalist website I found on the back end of the internet that it's fairly easy to cure meat, to preserve meat. You cover it in salt or sugar or smoke, I guess. Um, you leave it for a while and then it's done. Yep, you don't have to keep curing it or keep smoking it. It's pretty much a one-time action. 
But Paul doesn't tell us to preserve unity. He tells us to maintain unity. So while we don't maintain meat, we do maintain buildings. So take a look around for a minute. <clears throat> Once upon a time, we put some carpet in here. We bought some chairs, put the lights up, sound system, painted the walls. If that was a one-time action, done, left it, no more work. It doesn't take very long for the building to start to get disused and tired and warm. Right? But not, Paul doesn't say that. We, we, we have to keep maintaining it. To keep a building looking nice, you have to keep maintaining it. You have to carry out maintenance work. And it probably is about time for this building to have some maintenance work, so don't, <laughs> don't look too closely. Um, but regardless, maintaining something, anything, requires work. It requires action. It requires intentionality. And that's the same for us in community. To be in community, to maintain the unity of the spirit, requires work. It requires action. It requires intentionality. And if you didn't realize that, being part of a church, you might need to, if being honest, ask yourself the question of whether you've really been part of a church. It is hard work sometimes. But it is essential. And more than that, it's good for us. Right? So here's a quote from um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together. And he says, a Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain or discouraged. He needs his brother or sister solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is sure. Right, part of the reason we need community is simply because we can't do it on our own. Yet, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life that's worthy of the call. He does. But for some reason, God has also designed us to need one another. Right, you can't say yes to the call to Jesus to follow him without also saying yes to his people. To being part of his church. Sorry, let me just have a drink. So we said right at the beginning that we couldn't follow Paul's instruction to, to do the decent thing, to live in a way that's worthy without asking a few questions first. What, how, in what context? And now we can answer them. We are called to follow Jesus. How? By being with him, becoming like him, doing what he did. And in Ephesians 4, I guess Paul is particularly highlighting that we become like Jesus, humble, gentle, patient, loving, peaceful right so we are called to follow Jesus by being with him becoming like him doing what he did in the context of community of Christ's body so as we begin to draw to a close how do we put some of this into practice how do we actually become like Jesus because it isn't unfortunately as simple as just becoming like him wouldn't it be nice to wake up one morning look in the mirror say be peaceful and Bam, perfectly peaceful, just like Jesus. It's not that simple. Um, and John Mark Comer has this great line. He says, too often we want the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. We want the life of Jesus without the lifestyle. 
And that's true of lots of things, right? I think of Clive and Kaz. I don't think they're here in the room. They might be on Zoom, so sorry if you are, and I'm picking on you. I think of Clive and Kaz, right? They are healthy, they're fit, they're lean, they're muscular, a bit like me. Um, What are you laughing for? So, (laughs) a bit like me. Um, But more serious is that that's what what I'd like to be like as well. I'm sure that's true for others of us in the room. Um, We'd we'd like to be fit and healthy and lean and muscular. you know, I get out of breath just sitting here talking to you for 25 minutes. Um, so yes, please, I'll have some muscles, any will do. Um, yes, please, I'll have some of that healthiness. The problem is that their life is reflective of their lifestyle. So they eat healthy, they work out, and they do it day after day after day after day. They don't sit there eating, sharing bars of Cadbury's chocolate, which I clearly haven't done this weekend either. Um, or look at... Mark or Rob. Rob was supposed to be playing drums this morning, I hear. I actually took drumming lessons with Rob when I was, um, when I was younger. I don't know if he'll remember that. I might have blanked it. Um, but I took a few drumming lessons. Rob is a brilliant drummer, and as far as I'm concerned, sorry, the drums are the best instrument, and I wish I could play them. Um, but I took a few lessons with, with Rob when I, was, when I was younger, quickly realized it was hard work to get to Rob-level ability, and gave up. Um, I wanted the drumming ability, the Rob-level skills, without the Rob-level effort. Um, we want the life without the life style. Um, here's, let me read another, another John Mark Comer quote to you. Your life is the byproduct of your lifestyle. By your lifestyle, I mean your rituals and your routines, the way that you spend your time and your money, the way that you organize your day or your week or your year. In business talk, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. Your lifestyle is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. So let's take peace, for example. Many of us feel anxious a lot of the time, especially over these last few years we read scripture we see that Jesus promises peace to us but often we don't experience it right so how do we experience it well let's take a look at the lifestyle of Jesus he's never in a rush he's not busy he spent lots of time in community but he also spent lots of time alone just him and the father he'd sabbath he'd rest he'd be at synagogue every week he'd get lots of sleep What's that lifestyle perfectly designed to give? Peace. Let's look at our lifestyles. We're always in a rush. We're always busy. Um, We don't like spending too much time with others because it requires hard work, like I said. But equally, when we're at home alone, it's not just us and the Father. Quite often, uh, at least for me, it's just us and Netflix. Um, You know, we pray sometimes, but... um, Often it's maybe a bit of a shopping list when things are going bad rather than a conversation with God. We don't rest very well. We don't know how to. Um, We're part of a church family, but kind of fits in when it works for us. Um, We're always distracted. You know, statistically, average adult my kind of age is on their phone for hours each day. Um, We're always endlessly scrolling through Instagram and TikTok um, we are 
distracted. We are on our phones. What's our lifestyle perfectly, what's my lifestyle perfectly designed to give? Well, I can tell you it's probably not peace. So if we truly want the life of Jesus, if we truly want to be with him, become like him, do what he did, we need to start to adopt his lifestyle. And where do we start with that? Well, very simply, by being with him, by being with him. No agenda, no distractions, no books, no iPhone, no music, no uh, shopping list of prayer wants, no uh, Nicky Gumbel Bible in a year, I've done 63 days and I don't want to drop it, like just being with Jesus for the sake of being with him. Um, So that actually is my encouragement to you this week. Of course, I'm not saying don't stop praying, don't stop reading your Bible. Um, But my encouragement to you is just to Take 10 minutes each day, or whatever you can manage, um, to be on your own, or if you've got kids, as on your own as you can be. Uh, take 10 minutes each day to be silent, to be still, to be alone. You and the Father, just like Jesus did. Um, and Colin actually mentioned a few weeks ago at the prayer meeting that we had, something that Andrew Leakey used to used to say, Andrew Leakey um, planted the church way back when, was something along the lines of, start in the flesh and your heart and mind will catch up. And honestly, for most of us, being silent and still, even for 10 minutes, is difficult. It's not something we're very good at. And my, even though I'm encouraging you, I am telling you, you, you might have to start in the flesh. It might be hard work to start with. But as you choose to respond, as you choose to step in, the Holy Spirit will work on your heart and he will make you more like Jesus. So that's my first encouragement to you, is to take 10 minutes a day or whatever you can manage just to be still and quiet, you and the Father. My second encouragement for you this week is to come along to the Sunday night worship and encounter ones. The next one is next Sunday evening, 6th of Feb, uh, 7.30 here. Um, Part of the reason we're gathering in this way is to be with Jesus in the context of community. Um, We had the first one last Sunday, which was great. You know, people were singing out, people were praying for each other. Um, As I said, they're just times of being intentionally in the presence of Jesus, being with Jesus in the context of community. Let me just read... um, this final quote to you from James K. Smith, because I think it really helpfully explains what we think these evenings are, why we think these evenings are important. So he says, Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship's the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do, it's where God does something to us. Worship's the heart of discipleship because it's the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. So as we gather on those evenings, that's what we're asking God to do, is to retrain our hearts. So those are my two encouragements for you this this week. Uh, But right now, I just want to invite us to respond in this moment as well. So Mark, I'm just wondering if you can come and tinkle softly in the background well, I meant playing the piano um, 
Um, so I just want to invite us to respond. Can I invite you just to stand um, for a moment if you're able? So if you're sat here thinking, and I hope, <laughs> I hope there's some of us, if you're sat here thinking, yep, I want the life of Jesus, but so far I have not had his lifestyle. I want to walk in a manner worthy of his call to follow me. If you're kind of sat here thinking that, can I just invite you to come to the front? There's nothing special about the front other than it's a signal of action, a signal, a display of intentionality, a, a recommitment to adopt, to begin to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So just asking you to come, ask God as you come to the front, ask God to empower you to begin this journey. And then very simply, as I said, just rest in his presence. Just be with him. Just be with him. No other agenda, you and God. Maybe you need to repent. That's fine, you can do that, but mostly just ask the Holy Spirit just to come and then rest in his presence. We do have a few people on a prayer team, I believe, um, who might come around and pray for you at some point. If it's not helpful, tell them to go away, that's fine. Um, but come, rest, be in his presence. No other agenda other than being with him in this moment. <coughs> If you've not come to the front, this isn't just the time to stand there and sit there either. What we're going to do now is just share communion together. Communion's not, it isn't just something that we do every week on a Sunday. Right? This is part of how we be with Jesus in the context of community. Right? Communion is a family meal and as we share it together, Jesus makes himself present to us. So if you've not come to the front, um, can I just encourage you, grab one of those little communion um, cups, find somebody else to share it with, and um, just encourage one another, pray for one another, ask God to fill each other with the Spirit. Be with Jesus in the context of community. Um, and then finally, this isn't really anything to do with my preach. Um, but last weekend, I, um, I had a, a couple of tough days with my dad. My dad is not a believer. He's not, um, he's not with my mum anymore. Sorry to air your dirty laundry, mum. But I had just a, he didn't really do anything wrong, but he just said something and it kind of uh, triggered a whole load of pain and um, and woundedness in me um, that I'd clearly buried down somewhere deep um, and just as I was preparing this week I actually just felt that um, I might be self-projecting in which case fine but I was just feeling that there's people here this morning that have wounds from their parents their grandparents or their partners um, that are holding you back from saying yes to Jesus' call to follow him. They're holding you back from being able to step in both feet um, 
And as I said, I might be projecting, in which case it's fine, it doesn't matter. But if that feels like it resonates with you, can I just encourage you just to come to the front or to respond where you are if you don't want to come to the front? And, um, because I believe that God, our Father, our good Father, who loves us, wants to set some of us free of some of the things that are holding us back. You know, I don't think pain and woundedness ever really goes in this life at least. But I do think that God can set us free from it becoming a stronghold in our lives. Um, So I just want to invite you, if that's resonating with you, to respond as well. So let me just pray and then I'll stop talking. Father, we come to you this morning. Jesus, we hear your call to follow you. And in this moment, we just recommit ourselves to doing that, Father. We say we're sorry that where our lifestyle hasn't been reflective of yours. Holy Spirit, I pray, would you come and fill us again would you come and empower us to walk in a manner worthy to do the decent thing Father we rest in your presence knowing that you are a good father who can fathom the depths of his love Holy Spirit, I invite you to come in this moment. As we share communion or as we just rest in your presence, I pray come and be present with us, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit.